well. Hey, so I am glad that you guys are here because today we do get to wrap up this series that we've been doing called Holy Different. Um, And let me do this. Let's start by me taking just a little poll because I think it's critical to where we're going to go in a second. Plus, it's good because I get to learn a little bit something about you, right? I get to understand you guys a little bit more. So we're going to take a poll. You're going to raise your hands uh, when I get to something that connects with you. um, Or you're going to sit there and not raise your hands because your stick's in the mud. Um, Because sometimes people do that to me. I look at them and they don't raise their hand for any of the options. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you for coming today. Anyways, um, so here's what I want to ask you. Um, When you were disciplined as a kid, okay, so when your parents would discipline you as a child, okay, what did they do? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give a few options. Maybe yours doesn't fall into this, but if yours does fall into a few of these things, please raise your hand so I can see because it's going to be critical to where we are going now. Of course, maybe some of you are like, I had terrible parents. They didn't discipline me or I had terrible parents and they over-disciplined me. Um, and I totally understand that there's bad feelings in regards to that. But here's just a couple of the ones right in between that I wanted to see. What was your take on it as far as your participation in it? When you were a kid and you were disciplined by your parents, how many of you were the kids who got the timeout or the groundings, okay? Okay, so a fair amount, right? Like you, you don't have privileges anymore, right? Time out, sit in the corner, or, or you can't do this anymore. Okay, that's cool. How many of you were the kids that what your parents did for discipline is they gave you the I'm very disappointed speech? Yeah? I'm very disappointed in you, right? That was me. My mom was terrific at it. I was kind of a softie when I was a kid. My mom would just sit down and be like, Cameron, I'm so disappointed. And she would just wreck me with, with, uh, with that. But, um, or how about this one? Let's just see. How many of you just straight up old-fashioned spankings? Okay, wow, lots of hands of spankings. That's interesting. Okay, now that's intriguing. That means either we have an interesting, interesting group or maybe uh, just some old-fashioned parenting. Who knows as far as that. But Okay, all that being said, here's the reason why I wanted to see that, okay? In a second, I am going to read a verse that talks about God's discipline in our life. And depending on what your background is in regards to discipline, you might read that a little bit differently. You might hear that a little differently. I didn't know that we had so many people who got their butts whooped when they were kids. You might read this and be like, this sounds scary to invite God's discipline. That was whooping when I was a kid, right? Um, but I'll, I'll steer us through that, and I promise you there's wisdom in it. But uh, that gets us going in a good direction. Before we jump there, just one second, if you don't mind. Let's jump back for one second to kind of recap. So you guys are all on the same page. Maybe you were here, um, and I'll just give you a quick recap to make sure you're up to, up to date. Maybe you weren't here, and you're kind of coming in, and you're like, oh, I wonder what I kind of missed. Let me give you a quick recap as far as we go through this. The whole series is about this word, holy. And the word holy is kind of God's defining characteristic. And we were talking about that word holy, and what it really means, what it would translate to, is basically just set apart. Set apart. And that is kind of surprising because that word doesn't, like set apart, that doesn't seem that holy, does it? You're like, well, that doesn't seem that amazing. But it makes sense because the whole idea is that kind of everything else is here and God is above and beyond it. That it doesn't affect him, that he is set apart from it. It's kind of what makes him who he is as God. It's his characteristic, the most common thing he's called in scripture. Now that's interesting, but then God goes one step further and he invites the people who are following him to be holy as he is holy. And we wonder, how could we be holy? I thought that would be a God characteristic. How could we be holy? Now, 
in the Old Covenant, Old Testament, thousands of years ago, in which when God first said this, when he invited people to be holy as he is holy, it was really, really clear. Because what God said is, I need you, my people, and it was literally the people of Israel. It was kind of this nation that he was leading out of Egypt. Some of you guys know that story, right? Led the people out of Egypt into the wilderness. And he basically said, I want you to be holy like I am holy. And to make it really clear, he gave them hundreds of rules. Hundreds of rules. And the idea was that if they followed these rules, they would look different than the world that was around them. The world would look one way, and they would be holy, set apart from the rest of the world, and look different. So that people would look in their lives, they would say, you look different than the rest of the people, what's your situation? And they would say, oh, it's God. And it would be this way in which God was revealing, when people were close to him, how they would look different than the world. It was also kind of this idea of, of cont- containing, or excuse me, maintaining this, this relationship to God, this closeness with God, and that sin would separate us from him. Now, that's the old covenant. When we get to the new covenant, which is the idea of Jesus coming, the old covenant was really put in place to show us that we weren't able to live up to all the expectations, need for a savior, which was God's plan from the very beginning for Jesus to come to pay for our sins, to restore our relationship with God. There's a whole different perspective in this. Everything we read in the New Testament, everything we read that was just written a couple thousand years ago by the people who are eyewitnesses of Jesus and the people who interacted with him, they said that we're not living up to some sort of list anymore. In fact, God's the one who made us holy. He restored this connection with, between us and God. He's the one who really did the work. Paul talks about the idea that it's not that sin separates us from God. He says nothing can separate us from the love of God once we've been restored by Jesus. And there's this whole different perspective in regards to our connection with God. In fact, Peter does a really great job. I read this to you a couple weeks ago. Let me read it to you again. In 1 Peter, he describes this picture of holiness in the new covenant with Jesus in a different way. He says, 1 Peter 1, verse 2, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you've obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Look at that first sentence again. His spirit has made you holy. He says, God's the one who's actually made you holy. You don't live up to a list, and that's what makes you holy. The Spirit of God is what makes you holy, which makes sense because Paul said, instead of living up to a list, we live by the Spirit of God, and it's kind of this relationship with God that is making us holy. Now, Peter continues, and he describes how we should continue to walk in this, this call towards it. And what he says is a little confusing, but it really speaks to what I believe this new type of holiness in our side of Jesus looks like. It says this in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, just a few verses after what we just read. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And he throws it back to that same idea of being holy as God is holy. But he gives us clues that are so critical to holiness on this side of Jesus. He says, it's not that you're living up to this list. It's not that you're following some sort of rules. He says, God is like your father. He's like your dad. He's adopted you as a son or daughter. And you're not trying to live up to a list of rules to like maintain this connection. A, a good father doesn't turn his back on his kids because they make a mistake. He rushes into that. The reason why you are pursuing holiness is because God is holy. That's his characteristic. He is holy. And since he's your father, and since you love him, you want to look like him. 
This is what we were talking about a few weeks ago. The main point that I brought you week one was that holiness is not religious performance. That's often how holiness is talked about. It's doing this and not doing this, doing this and not doing this. But holiness is not actually about religious performance. Holiness is about family resemblance. It's about looking like Jesus, looking like God, that we love him, have been restored to him. And the reason why we want to be holy is because we want to look like God because we love him. We want to have that family resemblance. But he says, go on being holy. And people right away were confused at that. They wondered what we could do because if God's the one who's making us holy, I guess that just means we can do whatever we want. And we talked last week how Paul steered through that. And he said, you could do anything. You could do anything because, of course, you've been rescued by grace. But he said, not everything is beneficial to your holiness. And that's what we talked about last week. There are things in our life that as we try to look more like Jesus, look more like God, it is obvious when we look at them that they are not beneficial to us looking more like Jesus. They are not beneficial to our holiness. And the idea is that if they're not beneficial to our holiness, our responsibility is to remove them from our life to remove them from our life because they are not beneficial to our holiness. So we talked about this last week. You can go back and look at it if you, if you weren't here. But I wholeheartedly believe that this idea of holiness is exactly the definition that we threw on the side screens. You can read it. Wholly different. Set apart for something better. It's not that God wants you to be set apart from who you were because you're just like, well, you got to tough it out. I saved you, so you got to tough it out, Right? I actually believe it's because he wants to set us apart for something better than what we had before. I believe that as we look through our lives and as we invite God to point out things and as we find things that are not beneficial for our holiness and as we remove them, I wholeheartedly believe if God identifies something in our life that he wants us to remove, it is because he has something better to put in its place. That's what God wants for us. He wants to remove some of those things that don't make us look like Jesus, that lead us back to who we used to be, because this new holiness is actually less concerned with us looking different than the world around us. It's actually more concerned with us looking different than who we used to be. That's what holiness is. I'm no longer who I used to be. I'm set apart from who I used to be for something better. That's what God wants for us. Now, that whole idea, we finished up last week by saying, we're inviting God to shine his light in our life, to reveal in our lives things that are not beneficial for our holiness. And when we see them, we're going to accept it. We're going to face that conviction, that, that, that pointing out something in our life that doesn't feel right. We're going to feel sorrow for it, sadness for it, and then we're going to repent from it. And repentance is a change of mind and a change of direction that we would remove it from our lives. We would begin to walk in the other direction. And that whole idea leads us into this idea of God really being our father. What I didn't maybe focus on last week with that is really what that is, is it's establishing that relationship with God that's so key to our holiness. It's realizing that we really are having a relationship with God like he really is our father that he's walking close to us, that as we're pursuing holiness, it's not about trying to honor some distant God that's way out there by, by following a list of rules. It's walking with this God who's like our father. And like I said, you obviously might have an imperfect father who didn't do everything right. Of course, no matter how good your parents are, whenever they disciplined you, certainly there were times in which they disciplined you incorrectly because they are fallible people. But hopefully the reason why they were doing that is because they wanted the best for you. 
They wanted to steer you away from something that was bad for you, steer you towards something that was good for you. And I can promise you this. In just a second here, I'm going to read this verse, and it's going to talk about God's discipline. When we talk about God's discipline, it is always perfect. It is never incorrect. It is never um, brought about by anger. It is never brought about by sin like we might have faced when we were kids with our parents. Here's what it says. This is this walking into this relationship with God towards our holiness in that idea in Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 8 through 10, the writer says this. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. It says we had earthly fathers who who tried to discipline us. They tried to bring about discipline in our life. And and they tried. uh, They didn't do it perfectly. But God's relationship with us and God's discipline in our life is going to be done perfectly. And the benefit of having God as our father where he's speaking into our life and he's bringing discipline, he's correcting us and he's leading us, is that it will lead towards holiness. It'll lead towards us looking more like God. In fact, that's one thing that we didn't really even cover. What's the benefit of all this holiness? What's the benefit of inviting God's discipline into our life and allowing him to spotlight things and correct us and help steer our lives. What's the benefit of being holy? Well, I love, actually, the writer of Hebrews, just a few verses later, I think he gives us the key to really understanding what that is. Hebrews twelve fourteen. it says this. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. That's what we want to do, right? For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Now, that's true. Those who are not holy will not see the Lord. But you know what that means? It means the opposite is also true. Those who are not holy will not see the Lord. But those who are holy, they will. See, I believe the benefit of holiness is as we become more holy, we see more of God. Not only that, which is amazing, we see more like God. See, as we become more holy, we see more of God. We are revealed more of who he is. We understand more of his character. We get closer to him, just like the idea of a relationship with a father, right? The idea that as we spend more time, as we kind of invite his discipline into our life, we see more of him, we know more about him. But not only that, we start to see things more like him. When we walk through our lives, when we look at situations, when we look at people, we start to see it with God's perspective because we've come close to God and we start to see things God's way. And that changes everything in our lives. This holiness is so beneficial because, like I said, we see more of God. We see more like God. So what's the biggest way that we could increase in this holiness. So we talked week one, obviously the idea, it's, it's about family resemblance, not about just following some list. And week two, we talked about the idea that there are things that are not beneficial. But as we have this relationship of discipline, how is it that we could really grow this holiness, right? If we're inviting God's discipline, what is he going to pinpoint? What is he going to look at? And I actually think that this is so critical because I think that this relationship with God and, and this discipline and looking more like Jesus Oftentimes, it's always just boiled down to the knots, but it doesn't really make sense to me. 
Holiness is about looking more like God. And we talked about week one about the idea of family resemblance, of reminding people of God. But has anybody ever really stopped you and told you to remind them of your father, of your mother, because you don't do something? Usually it's because you do something, isn't it? It's how you do something. We're talking about family resemblance, but so often holiness is always just brought down to the idea of what you don't do. And I think that's a mistake. Let me say it this way. Holiness is more than just not doing what Jesus wouldn't do. That's what oftentimes it seems like holiness is talked about, right? Like, don't do what Jesus wouldn't do. Don't do what God wouldn't do. That's holiness. But it's so much more than that because it's about family resemblance. Holiness is just not do, isn't just not doing what Jesus wouldn't do. It's doing what Jesus would do. It's doing what Jesus would do. When we're talking about family resemblance, like I said, we look like our parents. It's like the things that stand out are the things that we do similar to what they do. And I think so often this is never talked about in the idea of holiness is are we doing the things that Jesus would do? Now, as we start walking into that and we invite God's discipline into our lives, I think he's going to steer into one big area. Because if we want to look like Jesus, if we want to do the things that he does, there's one thing that kind of stands above everything else, that just shines above everything else. And I actually think that Paul did a great job. He's writing to this church that he planted in in Thessalonica. And as he's writing to them, he kind of steers into this thing. And in this verse, it's so interesting because the first time we read it, I bet you any money, we'll just blast right past it. You won't notice it. But as we look back at it a second time, you're going to see something that's critical to understanding where all this comes Together. Here's what it says, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13. May the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your heart strong and blameless and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. So verse 12, you think it says, well, God is going to make your love grow. Verse 13, God will make your hearts holy, right? But we can read through and we completely miss the critical component that's there. You may may have not noticed it. Verse 12 says, And may the Lord make your love for one another, for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. But then verse 13 is what's critical. Here's how it starts. It says this, May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy. You see, it's not two separate sentences. It's not that God would increase our love and then that God would make us holy. He says that verse 13 comes because of verse 12. God will increase your love and as a result, our hearts will become more holy. As a result, by that situation. You see, friends, amazingly enough, holiness is actually the result of love growing inside of us. We want to look more like God. The biggest thing that needs to happen in us is this growth of love. And love, this growing inside of us, is what brings holiness into our life. It's the means by which it comes. Let me say it this way. I'll say it in a way that it, it, it literally rhymes, and I hope you never forget it. Okay? You good? Are you, are you guys with me? Are you looking? Okay, cool. Okay, here. Here's what it is. Holiness flows, like naturally, right? It just flows where love grows. Holiness flows to where love grows. Holiness flows where love grows. Holiness flows where love grows. Holiness flows where love grows. Got it yet? Holiness flows where love grows. 
flows, growth. It's going to stick, I hope, hopefully, right? When people talk about holiness, and you have that concept of holiness, I want that to stick in your head. Well, holiness, that naturally flows to wherever love grows. Love and holiness are inextricably connected in God's word. Inextricably connected. They are together. They walk hand in hand in everything. In fact, in verse, excuse me, in, in week one, I gave you this verse in Ephesians 5 1. And I said, this is kind of what we're going to do as believers because we have this relationship with God. We want to look like Him. And here's what we're going to do. And Ephesians 5 1 says this Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you're His dear children. That's kind of our call to holiness. But look at what verse two says. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. It says, go ahead and start imitating God. And the very first thing they say after that is, if you're going to imitate God, you're going to have a life that's filled with love. Because that's what God is more than anything else. It's what we see in him over and over and over again. It walks hand in hand with his holiness. Your holiness isn't just about not doing the things that Jesus doesn't do. Your holiness is about doing the things that he does. And listen, I think that this is the biggest issue that we face. Let me say it this way instead, okay? I believe that the biggest barrier to your holiness is probably not a sin that is present in your life. Instead, it is love that is absent from it. Let me say that again. I believe that the biggest barrier to holiness in your life is probably actually not the presence of a sin inside of it, something that you know doesn't look right, something that is standing in the way, something that Jesus wouldn't do. As much as that still is a barrier to your holiness, I actually think maybe a bigger barrier in your life is the absence of love. You don't have God's love yet. You don't have a measure of it. You haven't walked into it yet. I believe for so many of us, for us who have put our trust in Jesus, who said we believe in him, one of the biggest problems with our lives is we are lacking love. We're lacking love. We don't have it. Remember, God is holy, right? Set apart then he invites us to be holy as he is, set apart as well. But our definition of holiness isn't just set apart, it's set apart for something better. And here's what I believe. God is really calling us to something better when it comes to growing in this love. Something better when we would develop this love inside of us, that it will change us, it will make us different. If we are to be holy, which means that we want to do the things Jesus would do. And of course, the biggest thing we want to do then is grow the love that he has inside of us, that it will lead to something so much better. In fact, Paul said this in Philippians, and I think this this steers us towards it. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. There's that growing of love, right? And that you will keep on growing in knowledge and in understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus. That's holiness. Righteous character produced in our life by Jesus. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Here's what I think he's saying. 
The idea that we would be set apart for something better if we become more holy. Love is going to grow in our hearts. And as love grows inside of us, as our connection with God grows, there's going to be this amazing thing that happens. Our concern for God, Him being made famous, Him being known as good, Him being recognized as beautiful, our love for God and who He is will grow so much So much to a place that it will actually overwhelm our love for ourselves. And the reason why that is a good thing, the reason why that is a better thing, is because he says there are tons of people who chase after things that don't really matter. He says what this will do is it will give you an understanding of what really matters in this world. And what he's saying, though, is that means there are a lot of things in this world that don't really matter. But as we grow in love, as we increase in love for Jesus, it so overwhelms our love for ourselves, our own selfish desires, our need to satisfy all of us, those little things that we want to do, that it becomes more important. And all of a sudden, we stopped wasting our time on things that are not even important, that don't really matter matter. If we pursue holiness, we have to pursue a growth in love, God's love growing inside of us. And as God's love grows inside of us, it will push out selfishness, but it'll even go farther than that. It'll go farther than just loving God more than we love ourselves. Because we'll start to become more like Jesus. We'll see more of God and we'll see more like God. And our whole perspective of the world around us will begin to shift. And if holiness is about looking like Jesus, what happens is this love just begins to grow and overwhelm other areas of our life. In fact, I don't know that I can fully communicate what the love of Christ in us looks like, but I love what John, the disciple, tries to write in 1 John 4, 7-12 of explaining what this love in us does. Here's what he says. Dear friends, Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Stop there for a second. That's critical. Because love is just a word, and a lot of people will try to hijack that word and tell you what it means. They don't get to define love. If you ever have somebody say, well, I think it's about love, and you say, what does love mean? And they say, well, I think, say, oh, so you're God. You get to define what love is? No, he says it's about love, but he says, let me be real clear. This is real love, not what someone else tells you love is. What real love is is not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That love is this sacrificial service, laying yourself down to serve others. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Look at this. No one has ever seen God, but... If we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. The standout of God's character is love. The standout of what we read in God's word about who he is, 
is his love. It's, it's overwhelming. It goes past anything we can understand. He defines it for us, saying this is real love. Not just like the, oh, I have a good feeling about this. Oh, I tolerate those people. Oh, I do. But he says this is real love. It's not just that God would love us. He would love us to such an extent that he would sacrifice, lay aside his godliness and come to this earth. That he would give himself for our sin to rescue us. That that's the story of Jesus. But it's even more than that. Not this, just that Jesus would love us enough that he would sacrifice his life for us who would someday love him. Jesus laid down and sacrificed his life for people who would never love him. Jesus died and gave up his life to restore relationship with God for people who would curse him and never ever give him glory. That is overwhelming overwhelming love. As we become more like Jesus, as we become more holy, it's not just not doing the things that Jesus wouldn't do, it's doing the things that Jesus would. And when we look at Jesus, you know what I see? I see sacrificial love, love that changes everything, love that steers everything. In fact, I love, here's what Jesus said about himself in Matthew 20, 28. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, I am the king of the universe, but I didn't come here to be served by you. I came here to serve you. I deserve your praise and your honor, but instead I will get down and I will work to restore your relationship with God. You see, as we grow in connection to God, as we grow in holiness... One of the biggest things that grows in us is not just a love for God that overwhelms our love for ourselves, but the other part that grows is a love for people that overwhelms our love for ourselves. Jesus so loved that he poured out his life as a sacrifice for everyone, those who would come to know him and love him and those who would despise him. And friends, as we become more like God, as we become more holy, I believe that one of the biggest markers that we're walking in the right direction is that our love for people grows to the extent that it even surpasses our love for ourselves. That we are willing to serve others. That we are willing to leverage our lives on this side of eternity to rescue people for the other side of eternity. Here's what I actually believe. And I've never heard anyone say this. So either I'm wrong Or it's an insight. You can take it or you can leave it, I suppose. I believe that mission is the defining trait of holiness. I believe that mission is the defining trait of holiness. Pouring out our lives to rescue those who need Jesus. Because that was the defining trait of Jesus. So if we are to be holy, and holiness is looking like our God. I believe the greatest sign that we can have in our life of holiness is not a list of sins we do not do, but instead a fiery mission in our heart for anyone who is lost, that we are willing to sacrifice anything at any cost to return them to Jesus. That that, that's the defining aspect of holiness. Holiness brings a death to our selfishness. But it's for the better. I don't believe God ever asks us to set our lives apart for something worse. It's for something better. 
Did you know that there are people who are going to spend the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years pursuing nothing more than what they eat, what they wear, what they drive, where they live, what they see, what they feel, and who they know. And then they will die, and their life will have accomplished nothing. It will have made no dent on history. Their name will be etched at a stone. And within a hundred years, even their own family will stop visiting that stone. Friends, you are meant for so much more than that. God's call in our life is for something so much better than that. Not just the living and working and breathing and dying, but leveraging our life here and now in this world to change eternity. Friends, that God has brought you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, into the beginning of an eternal life. And that he's called us on this earth, here and now, to not be distracted by our own selfish desires, to not be caught up by things that matter so little, but instead to gain such a bigger vision for our life. Such an overwhelming love for God and love for those who are around us that we leverage this life and our energy on this side of eternity affects the other side of eternity. I sometimes pray and think, I wonder, because of a church like Acts, because of a church that cares about those who aren't here and keeps pushing into it, is God just adding subdivisions up in heaven? Another street, another house, another street, another house, another believer, another son or daughter. Worship team, you guys can come up here to help me finish this in just a second. For all of us, God is calling us to holiness. He is calling us to holiness. Being set apart, but not just set apart. Set apart for something better. Holiness flows where love grows in our life. And your call to holiness is not a call to live up to a list. It is not a call to just simply reject a bunch of things that are negative in your life. It is a call to grow positive environments inside of your heart. And love is what we need to grow more than anything else. We need to decrease the love for ourselves and satisfying all our own desires. And a love for God needs to swell up. And a love for people needs to swell up in its place. If you're a Jesus follower, I want to ask you a few questions just to check your holiness as we finish this message. And they're questions that honestly have, um, they, they've haunted me as much as I hope they haunt you. Do you realize you have a mission here on earth? Or are you so selfish to think that all of your time, all of your energy, and all of your money is simply for you? Do you realize, if you're a Jesus follower, that you actually have a mission while you're here on earth to be part of God's rescue mission of those who don't know him? Or are you so selfish that when you look at your time, when you look at your energy, when you look at your money, you assume it's all for you? When we talk about groups, we say you should be part of groups so you can be connected to other people. Are you so selfish with your time that you think, I don't have time for that? You won't change your time so that you can pour into other people's lives and have relationships with them. 
When we talk about teams, we talk about serving in a local church, serving your community in kindness. Are you so selfish with your energy that you think, I, I can't give anything to that? I don't really care. Someone else will have to go ahead and they'll have to help those kids. Someone else will have to go ahead and they'll have to help set up the church. Someone else will have to go ahead and welcome the people. That's not me. Are you so selfish with your finances that when we talk about our mission as a church, you think, well, I hope someone else can fund it because it isn't me. That money has places it's got to go to satisfy my desires. Is your life making a difference in eternity? If you're a Jesus follower, the answer to that question is supposed to be yes. We're supposed to know, yes, I am leading people close to Jesus. I am leading them to fall in love with him. It's the reason why we even have teams, because sometimes people say, I'm not that good at leading people to Jesus. And we say, that's why we put together a church and we put all our efforts together, because you can serve in different areas and we can put all our energies together and see tons of people come to know Jesus. Does your life affect eternity? Does your life here and now affect eternity? Perhaps more than anything else, here's the question that's haunted me and has challenged me more than anything else. Do the people around you who are lost and don't know Jesus, do they bother you? Because I think they're supposed to. Does it bother you that your friends don't know Jesus? Does it bother you that your family doesn't know him? Does it bother you that your neighbor doesn't know him? I wonder how cold maybe some of us have grown. Maybe how cold we've just started and we've never changed. But friends, I believe that we're supposed to have a holy a holy agony in our heart for the world around us who doesn't know Jesus. I don't believe it's right for us to be able to walk as a Christian who's been rescued by Jesus in confidence and knowing that when I die, I'm going to heaven and walk past people who don't know it and just think, well, but they can go to hell. I believe we're supposed to have a holy discontent in us. That when we look around, the world looks different because we see people who don't know Jesus and we think, whatever we need to do, Whatever I can do, whatever we can do so that they know about Jesus. Friends, does it bother you? Or, as Paul said, are you busy wasting your life on what doesn't really matter? The choice is absolutely yours. You can waste your life on things here and now. And like I said, no one will remember you a hundred years from now. You will have had no effect, nothing will have changed. Your legacy will be a tombstone or holiness, love. And that someday, when you get to heaven, you will spend all of eternity celebrating what Jesus has done and what Jesus has done through you. What our lives, with Jesus' help, accomplished here and now on earth. What changed? What shifted? God has called you to holiness because he wants you set apart for something better. I want to pray for you, but would you do me a favor? Would you stand up as I pray for you? Bow your head, close your eyes. Because I want to pray that God would increase our love. But here's the deal. I know I can't teach a message that's good enough to make you increase in love. What it has to be is that you desire it 
You want it, and you invite God to bring it. It has to be you inviting God's discipline in your life, that he would develop the love inside of you. You would say, God, please, would you, would you bring your love into my heart? Would you take away my heart that's so cold and so hard, and would you give me your heart, Jesus? Here's what I want to do is I'm just going to pray for you, and then the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And maybe during the song you sing its lyrics, it's, it's focused in that direction. Maybe you just pray your own prayer. But if you want to invite God to do this, today's a great day to do that. Jesus, you see everybody who's here. You know their hearts. You know their minds. If there's anyone here today that doesn't have a connection with you, Jesus, they don't have a relationship with you, Jesus, and today for the first time ever, they've realized the reason why you came wasn't to start a religion, but is to restore relationship with God the Father. Right now I pray that as they feel that and as they want to put their trust in you, they would just whisper this prayer in their mind and their heart, that they would pray, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place. Please become the king of my life. I trust you with my eternity. And as they pray that prayer in faith, not necessarily having everything figured out, I pray you would send your Holy Spirit to rush into their lives right now. That they would sense your presence and you would begin to walk with them. And you would begin to guide them. And that you would bring your, your loving discipline into their life. For the rest of us who are believers already, God, for anyone whose heart has been led towards the understanding that they need to grow in love. I pray right now, God, that you would send your Holy Spirit to fall on them. I pray right now, God, that you would send your Holy Spirit. You promised your spirit. And the reason why I believe you did is so there would be no barriers for the spread of your gospel. That we would know your presence inside of us. And that we would be able to spread the truth of who you are with confidence. Right now, God, for anyone who senses that and is longingly in their heart, they're praying, God, fill me with your love. Would you pour your Holy Spirit over top of them right now? Baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Flood them with your Holy Spirit. That they would know and sense your love. And God, change them, empower them, fan the flame inside of them so that they might leave here with a different mindset on the world around them. That with you, God, with your empowerment, they would be released, Lord, to change this world. God, as we pray in these next few minutes and sing, guide our hearts, steer them towards you. In Jesus' name we pray.